Armor of God, part five of the series titled The Message, Understanding Salvation. And Ephesians chapter six, in this series, we are looking at the passage of scripture in Ephesians six. We've been studying this scripture, uh, verses 10 through 17. And um, in this season, in this letter, Paul is writing to believers, and that's important to understand because the reason that he is writing to these believers is to encourage them and teach them how to live out their faith. Uh, we began this series after Easter, and so if you gave your life to Christ or if you've given your life to Christ, this uh, passage of Scripture, actually the whole book of Ephesians, I've told you to read through the book of Ephesians. If you haven't ever read through the book of Ephesians, you should. Uh, if we could turn up the house lights too so I can see all your wonderful faces, that would be great. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, lighting team. Appreciate that. I just want to see your faces. You look so good. So, or I can't see you, so I want to see that, how good you look, is what I should say. All right, so... The book of Ephesians, like you should read this book. It's a really important book, and, and many people don't know this, but that book, that whole book was written for every person who's been become a believer in Christ, and you're thinking, how do I live as a Christian? What does it mean to live as a Christian according to God? Well, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians tells you that. All right, so if you're a Christian, this is how you should live. Now, Paul writes the whole book on this, then he gets to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 10 through 17 again, because this is the passage of which we're studying. He says in verse 10, all right, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, there's the series title, so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood and enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. If you have your Bible, if you're making notes, you should always circle that whole thing, unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. So Paul introduces the idea of spiritual, uh, spiritual realm. This is not just a physical realm, there's a spiritual realm. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be able to be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, that is the gospel, so that you'd be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith. Take up your shield. We talked about that. To stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And this is where we're going to be today. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And again, I titled the message today, Understanding Salvation. My hope for you today is that you would have a greater understanding of salvation. Many people, I believe, it seems true to me after many conversations in ministry and talking with people that I have, that there's people that who come to church and been in church, but really don't have a true understanding, uh, uh, even a depth to the understanding of what what it means when you say you're saved. So if you've ever heard the term, uh, what does it mean to be saved? What, what is being saved? And how do I explain that? What is that? Well, today, uh, my hope for you is you have a greater understanding of salvation and what happens when you're saved, how salvation occurs, and we'll, we'll unpack that towards the end. So that's my hope for you today. So if you don't know what it means to be saved and what Christians mean when they say be saved, well, today's your day because you're going to hopefully find out if I do a good job and God may help me. So, all right. The oldest known helmet uh, used in history is by the Assyrian soldiers around 900 BC. And the purpose of the helmet, of course, was to protect their head. Okay. To protect the head. And because they didn't want head injuries, because head injuries lead to a change in the way the body functions. Right? So they want to protect the head, uh, obviously from death, potentially from being striked or hit. But ultimately, 
to protect the body because if you damage the head, you can damage the body. The body can't function if the if the mind is, is kind of out of order, if the head has been injured. We know that to be true. We hear about uh, concussions, right? In NFL, different sports and athletes, many athletes, young athletes can't um, use different parts. So in soccer, let's say my kids play soccer and they can't uh, head the ball until after the age of 12 now. And, and when I was a kid, it was like no one cared, you know. He'd be six years old heading the ball. And, but, but, but because all the concussion protocols and, and all these sports and, and sports are changing and rules are changing because of all of these head injuries. So the whole purpose of the helmet is used to protect the mind. And so here's Paul looking at a Roman soldier sitting in prison and he sees the helmet. And as he's looking at this soldier, he uh, thinks about in the physical battle how this helmet protects the mind. And but then he says, but there's a spiritual battle. And in that spiritual battle, you need to wear this helmet. And this helmet's called salvation. So he kind of sees these parallels. So this is going to protect your mind in the spiritual realm. So uh, you're in a fight physically. Wear a physical helmet. In a spiritual fight, you need to have salvation on your mind. And so that's really important. Have salvation on your mind. Understanding salvation. That's why I titled it. All right, so Paul writes this. We're going to go back. Verse 11, put on God's armor so that you're going to be able to stand against all the strategies of the devil. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I'm pushing on this because we've got to put this into our minds. Paul is describing, remember, a wrestling match, that there's this battle that's going on in an unseen world with unseen forces. All right, so when it comes to spiritual warfare, uh, I read this to you, uh, I think in the first week, but I want to bring it back up again. When it comes to Satan and demons, people typically fall in two categories. One is they uh, put a lot of emphasis on it, maybe too much emphasis on it, and everything is Satan and everything is demons. Do you remember this? And I talked to you about having 19 enchiladas and then having stomach pains and saying, oh, that's Satan. No, it was just the fact that you ate terribly, you know, and so you can't blame everything for Satan. On the other side of that, you can't fully rule them out either. And there's this balance of understanding that we can't simply never acknowledge the fact that there is a spiritual battle. And there's a lot of people who literally never even think about Satan and demons when they go about their life and how maybe the spiritual realm is impacting what's happening in their home and their children. And they simply don't take him seriously enough. I think a lot of people fall into that category where they don't take Satan seriously enough. And my hope today is you do begin to take, if you're not, taking him seriously. That these evil forces are real. And they are attacking your marriage. They are attacking your mind. They are attacking culture. They are attacking government. They are attacking society. And all types of things. And they are deceptive. And they are hidden. And what looks like practical and normal things to you isn't always so practical and normal because it seems physical, it's easy to identify, but they are operating in a spiritual realm, a whole nother realm that Paul clearly talks about. Remember, I told you that Satan could care less whether or not you believe in him, actually, though. Doesn't even care if you really don't believe in him because ultimately he's not after your recognition, he's after your destruction. So understand this is the context that we have to understand that, that Paul is writing in. All right. 
So Paul says when we're in a spiritual battle, we need to put on the proper headgear to protect our mind, which means this, and you can write this in your note, a first spiritual truth. I'm just going to give you a lot of spiritual truth today, just some things to think about, kind of meditate on, consider. Satan and demons will attack your mind. Now that's biblical. I just explained to you it's going to happen. They will attack your mind. If they weren't going to attack your mind, the helmet would be useless. So, Paul is saying, if you're a Christian in the room, Satan will attack your mind. Okay, question then. Why does Satan, not do, but why does Satan and evil forces attack the mind? Why? Why does Satan and evil forces attack the mind? Three reasons why Satan attacks the mind. Here's the first one. Whoever gets your mind, write that down, gets you. Whoever gets your mind gets you. All right, so let me explain it to you. The horse is controlled by the head. My daughter uh, used to ride horses, and, and I would see her, like, I think it was probably third grade, and she'd sit on this massive horse and tell it everywhere to go, you know, and would guide it and yank it and pull it, and she had the control over this massive horse. Now, the whole time I'm thinking, this horse could destroy you, and I told her that. Hey, just so you know, don't walk behind it, because if that horse kicks you, you're pretty much dead because you don't die any like, and I, I did, I know, but I just wanted to make sure I scared her enough that she'd like, never, I said, you're going to die, right? But this little girl, my daughter, could control this powerful horse because she had the head. Um, oftentimes, elephants will be trained to stay attached to a tree with a small string. And it's a mental game because they train it in a certain way that if they uh, if something happens to it, they train this elephant that if it pulls at first, you know, it gets hurt. Have you ever heard of this? And it kind of inflicts pain upon it to the point that eventually all it needs is a small string. And even though the elephant could pull and break it with no problem, uproot the tree. Uh, in several countries, they might do this and they use different techniques. We, we know what I'm, this is saying. This where if you get in the mind, you can really uh, dictate what a person does. Uh, think about Hitler. You know, many of us today, we live, you know, we kind of see back in, in society and we look back at the history. We go to Holocaust museums and we read about that. We're like, how could you, how could possibly you convince people to do something like this? Whoever has your mind has you. I mean, when you get into the mind of somebody, it's powerful. Women who stay in abusive relationships, right? Or, or, or men in some cases maybe. But you, but you get the point. It's like, gosh, if you get the mind you can really have a lot of power in somebody's and influence somebody's life. So whoever gets your head or whoever gets your mind gets you. So how does Satan do that? Well, Satan will use people, pain, and your past to get you by the head. Think about how Satan can use other people, influence other people in the spiritual realm to bring about what he's operating or wanting to do. Uses pain in your life, previous pain, current pain, physical pain, emotional pain, in your past, maybe past decisions you've made to get in your head. Whoever gets your mind gets you. That's the reason, one of the reasons why Satan attacks the mind. Number two, another reason why he attacks your mind is when you lose your mind, you lose your soul. You can have a healthy heart, but a mind that has lost control. All right. Now, I'm going to teach you this on again. Remember, I've been talking about this in the series. I've been talking to you about there's three parts to you. What are they? Come on. Spirit, soul, body. Okay, so we have these three parts to us. And your soul is your mind, your will, 
That is your drive and your emotions. These three make up your soul. And a mind, your mind is a part of that. And when a person receives Christ, now who is Paul writing to? He's writing to believers. So these believers have the new spirit, have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And they're given this new spirit. We call it Holy Spirit, which means their spirit is holy. It's perfect, blameless, righteous. So that's how their spirits are able to go to heaven where they get new bodies eventually. So what happens to the soul? We're going to explain some of that more even today. But we know the soul is not holy. What's one part of the soul? The mind. And our minds, even though we're believers, that's what Paul is writing to, the church of Ephesus. So these believers, he knows because he himself is a believer, is a follower of Christ, and he's saved, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. But he's also recognizing in of himself, and he would explain this to a different church, but, but this is in his mind that even though he's given his life to Christ, his mind is still messed up. His mind isn't holy. He doesn't have a holy mind. So just because you're saved doesn't make your mind holy. That's why Paul describes this in Romans 12 where he talks about um, the renewing of your mind. Look what he wrote in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word renewal or renewing is a Greek word that meant renovation. So when you make the choice to surrender your life to Christ and Jesus Christ becomes your master, you get a new spirit, but you don't get a new mind. How many of you have really evil thoughts? You're a Christian, you love Jesus, but you have really evil thoughts sometimes. Lift your hands. We, we want to know who the evil people are in the room. We're planning. Okay. All right, so just think about what I just said, and, you, and some of you, you're married, and you're, each of you as spouses raised your hand. Raise your hand again, and then look at each other if you are married in the room. And if you're single, look at the people who are raising their hand. <laughs> so you have evil thoughts. How many have sick thoughts? And you think, if somebody knew what I was thinking, they would question, you know, that they should lock me up, you know. Raise your hand. You have really sick thoughts sometimes. Okay. So Paul is acknowledging that. That the mind isn't holy, even though your spirit is holy because of Christ in you. But the mind is still at work. It's a renovation. It's under construction, I'd like to say. I'd like you to consider this today, that your mind is under construction. When you give your life to Christ, your spirit comes inside, but the soul is under construction. The mind is under construction. This is why Paul would say, I try to do the right thing, but even when I try to do the right thing, I end up doing the wrong thing. And I can't see, seem to do the thing that I know I should do. In other words, my spirit is telling my mind to do something, but then I end up sometimes doing the thing that I know I shouldn't do. Oh, what a wretched man I am, Paul would say. Because my mind is still in this battle because it's a part of the soul, all right? So your spirit is perfect, but the mind is still a work in progress. Can you just tell your neighbor, if you're watching online, I am a work in progress. 
<laughs> okay. I'd like for you to do that one more time. Didn't that feel good? Seriously, just tell the person next to you, I'm a work in progress. Now, if I see some young people in the room, just tell your parents, I'm a work in progress. Okay? Yeah, I'm a work in progress. All right? I'm a work in progress. Number three, the third reason why Satan will attack the mind is we do what we think. So I want you to think about this. Whoever gets your mind gets you. When you lose your mind, you lose your soul. By the way, think about depression. The heart is beating fine. Other organs in your body are operating good. But the mind can destroy the body. Think about the effects that depression or anxiety have on an individual. Sometimes, when we become so depressed, that what happens in their mind, they end up taking out on their own bodies. Okay. So Satan knows if I get to your mind, I'll get to your soul. And if I get to your soul, I can cause you to take your own body. So he attacks your mind. And then we do what we think. Have you seen MetaQuest, virtual reality? Does anybody own one of these yet, by the way? Just curious. Anybody own a virtual reality thing that you buy now? Okay. All right. So they're going out of business soon. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> okay. I'm not plugging MetaQuest, but this virtual reality, you see in this now more and more. We know that, virtual reality. And uh, I got a chance to do one of these uh, a while back at a church conference. It was pretty cool. We got to go in the room, and my wife did, and we got to sit in this office. They had this big table and all these uh, chairs, and they put us in these helmets, and they took us to Israel. So it was pretty cool. You got to kind of virtual reality of Israel. And so uh, they had this big room, and you could roll around and spin around in your chair. And so your people were <laughs> like bumper cars, you know, kind of just spinning around. Oh, sorry about that. And spinning around and just kind of trying to travel through this uh, area in Israel. It was really, really cool. And so you're spinning all around the room and the device makes you think that you're somewhere you're not, right? You think you're in Israel, but reality is you're sitting on a couch or you're sitting in an office, whatever that may be. I think Satan, in the same way, just want you to think about this, Satan wants you to wear a device, a MetaQuest, a virtual reality, a headset, a different headset, so that he shows us through the headset that he wants us to see through. In other words, he doesn't want to see you to see what's reality. He doesn't want you to see what's true. He wants you to experience a false reality. He wants us to respond to what is false, not what is true. Because we end up doing what we think. Our mind empower, and, and impacts our actions. He wants to keep you from understanding the truth of your salvation. Now, this is important when we think about salvation. I want you to hear this. Satan does not want you to understand what it means to be saved. When you are saved, he's aware of it, saved. But I'm going to keep you from understanding it, which I believe many Christ followers who are saved by grace, yes, but they don't understand it, and they walk around in this world as saved, not really understanding the power they have in salvation. So I want you to see a, with a new set of lens today. 
All right, key question. Why would saved people need to put on a helmet of salvation? When you read the Bible, when you read this passage, that question should have come to your mind. Who is he writing to? People who are saved. So if they're saved, why do they need to put on a helmet of salvation? Now remember, the first three are things you should do at all times. The, the final three, or the second three set, or the second set of, of, of armor, he says to take up, which means to raise or to put on. In other words, you're going to have situations and moments where you're going to need to take this one on. You're going to need to put this one on. All right. Why do saved people need a helmet of salvation? That's important. Paul's writing to save people. So what, let me ask you a question. Is he saying they can lose it? No. He's not saying they can lose it. I'll show you why that's true later. But I believe it's because he wants them to understand their salvation. So Paul, like a parent who tells their kids, make sure you wear your helmet, wants these followers of Jesus to put on, to raise up. In other words, I want you to think about salvation. I want you to be reminded and make sure you understand your salvation because this will keep your mind protected as evil forces try to destroy your life. So I want you to think about salvation. Be reminded of what happened upon salvation, what Christ did for you. Okay. So I want you to walk out of here today having a clear understanding of salvation. This is not a message about how to be saved. We'll get to that at the very end. But I want you to understand it. So in the same letter of Ephesians, Paul gives us some insight to salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I want you to understand salvation. I think this passage of scripture really helps us understand salvation. So I'm gonna give you three insights into understanding salvation. Maybe kind of deeper understanding of your salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. The first thing that Paul says is, it is by grace. Your salvation is by grace. Write that down, that salvation is by grace. And I want you to think about this and understand this is in past tense form. You were saved by grace. You've been saved, past tense. This is a word that you might call justification. You might hear somebody say you're justified before God. You have this place of justification. So you receive salvation by grace alone. So grace is all about what God has done for you. It's independent of you. Grace has nothing to do with you or what you do. If anybody tells you that salvation is based on what you do, that's legalism. That's not grace. You are saved by grace. You and I can access, cannot access as God's favor and blessing by our works. You can never obtain salvation by your good works. It is only by grace, spiritual truth. Satan wants you to remain in a posture of trying to earn what God has already given you. So, stop trying to earn your salvation. If I see self-defeated Christians because of this right here, they think they're really not able to live up to the standard that God has set because they're not like somebody else. 
I have seen people say, I'm not ready to be baptized. Why? And, and the number one reason I get, I'm telling you, my personal history of dealing with people for 15 years in ministry. That's a, I'm, lots and lots of people, lots of conversation, lots of conversations around baptism. They say, I'm not ready. And I say, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross? Yes. Did he, did he rise from the dead for your sin, salvation of your sin? Yes. Is there any other way to heaven other than the Christ? No. You're ready. And they would say, no, I'm not. Why? I need to get some things right first in my life. Trying to earn something. It's a misunderstanding of salvation. Salvation is by grace alone. It has nothing to do with you. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You don't have to earn God's love. God will never love you more than he already does. He demonstrated his love when he sent his son to die for you. And when this truth sinks down into your soul, and I intentionally wrote the word soul because I want it to go from your spirit into your soul, it will change everything about the way you live. It'll change everything about the way you think and ultimately transform your life. When you realize that there is nothing you could do that could ever make God love you more than he does right now. Now, you live that way, it'll change everything about the way you live. All right? So you're saved by grace. Everybody got that? You're saved by grace. Grace alone. Because of his love for you. All right? But then Paul says something else. This is where people start to Sometimes debate this. Yeah, but it's through faith. Let's unpack that. So number two, through faith. That is true. You're saved by grace through faith. What does that mean? Well, good news. I think I have some answers to help you out. That is present tense. Did you catch this? Through faith. This is happening right now. It's present tense, and the best word I can give you for present tense here, if you've heard of this, justification and sanctification. If you ever heard the word, sanctify, okay? Sanctification. This is a, a place that we are as believers. Now, we're saved by grace. That is, the spirit is saved by grace, but the soul is at work. This is sanctification. Okay. Spiritual truth. Remember this from last week? Faith is acting as if God is telling the truth. What's faith? Acting as if God is telling the truth. So faith is your response to what God has already done. Okay. Now some of you, this is going to be, I hope, provides so much freedom in your life. I'm, I'm, I can't even, I have to preface how excited I am. <laughs> That's how excited I am to share this with you. Because I'm like, oh, can you get this today? If they could just get this, that's all that's going through my head right now. I'm just totally letting you in on what's really happening in my brain, okay? I just hope you get this. Like, this is incredible what I'm about to share with you that I bet some of you have never read, and which I'm like, we've been in a series for this. I hope you've read this and you've underlined it already. Okay, are you ready for this verse? Watch this. This is so powerful. Now, I'm talking about through faith, right? This is present tense, and faith is acting. Gosh, Faith is acting as if God is telling the truth. So here's what God wrote. Paul wrote it, but God inspired Paul, right? We know that all scriptures used, God breathed. Okay, so here we go. Ephesians 1, same letter, verse 3. Praise be to God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, 
Okay, here we go. Who has blessed us. Everybody say, has blessed us. Has blessed us. In the where? Heavenly realms. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, how many of you, you just think, man, that excites me right now. Okay, raise your hand if you're confused. You're not quite sure what it means. It's okay. Okay, so that means all of you understand it, and only two of you are super excited about that, which tells me you don't understand it. Raise your hand if you don't understand what that verse fully means. Okay, why are you so ashamed? Like, it's like, oh, everybody else is doing it too. Okay, cool. Like, okay, this is so powerful, so powerful. In the heavenly realms, God has given you everything you need. It's available. It is there. And he's given you every spiritual blessing imaginable. It's out there. He has blessed us in this way. Now I want you to start to act like it. I want you to start to act like every spiritual blessing is within your grasp. It's right there. Your soul says, nah, no, no, no. You have to trust in your own plan. God's plan is better. Okay, let me illustrate it to you this way. I don't have a, a power strip. You know what a power strip is? I don't have one. I, I was supposed to bring one, I forgot. But you know what a power strip is? Yeah, you put all the plugs in it, put the little switch. Everybody understands that? Anybody confused about a power switch? Amen. Okay, so the power is available. If I, if I take a power cord from one of these sounds, right, and I, and I detach it from the wall, I, re, I take it out, and then I call, you know, electric company, and I say, hey, I got a problem. This machine isn't working. What would they tell me? Well, plug it in. I don't have a source problem. I have a connection problem. Right? What's faith? It's the flip of the switch. Does that make sense? Yes. But it's the flip of the switch. Do you follow me on this? That means God has available power in the wall. The power is here to turn on all the lighting. Many Christians live life with a plug in their hand. Not understanding the power that's available to them. Okay, let me make it to you this way. How many of you, you, you enjoy more money in your bank? You just not love money. We know that all of you are Christians, you don't love money. But, but, but you, you do enjoy more money in your bank. Okay, full participation in case you're watching online. Everyone just raise their hand. All right. All right. So, so... I want you to imagine this. God has deposited, now watch this. Okay, here we go. God has deposited every dollar you ever need in your account. He has a lot of money, by the way, in case you didn't know. Now, he says, I've already deposited every financial need you have in your life. Now act like it. 
Now act like it. Do you trust me? Now, faith is acting as if God is telling the truth. So, so faith is taking the debit card when you get saved, taking it out of your wallet, putting it in the ATM. Essentially, you're acting in faith. God will supply my every need. I'm not putting my card in my bank account. I'm putting my card in his bank account, and my heavenly Father has more than I could ever possibly think of or even imagine. He will cover my need. Now, watch this. As long as... I do what he says. And so I give to God first because I actually trust in what he says. So I want you to think about this when it comes to tithing. Oh, here we go. I know. Here we go. If the word of God teaches to tithe, I think that's clear in scripture. If you don't agree with that, have a cup of coffee with me. We'll talk about it. Scripture is clear of a tithe. That's 10% of your income. Okay? And God says that if when you tithe, I will meet your every need. You give me the 10, I'll supply it all. Why? Faith. What's faith? Acting as if God is telling the truth. So what part of me is being sanctified? Not my spirit. This is not about salvation. You are saved. But the soul is a work in progress. So the soul begins to see whether or not I can trust God, the mind. And then I look back and I say, look what God did. But then I find myself in a fight and all of a sudden, I don't know. And I find myself in this battle. Faith is acting as if God is telling the truth. Faith is flipping the switch. Faith is putting in your tithe saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to act like it. You will provide my every need. And it's challenging. Not on the spirit. The Holy Spirit's like, come on, man. Dad's got a lot. You know, he'll provide. Not that he's going to bless you with more. That's not why we do it. Trust dad. But the mind says, but how? The mind, how? And Satan's going, just imagine, just hear this out. How are you going to do that? I mean, look at your finances. Look at the bills versus thing. And all of a sudden, you start doing the mathematics. You start to line things up. You're thinking, how, how, how? This is going to work. We don't have the funds to do it. But we don't want to take vacation. We want to be able to go 401Ks. We want to be able to do this. And you start thinking about all these practical things. Because whoever gets your mind gets you. And what's he trying to do? He can't take your salvation. The Spirit's already inside of you. So what can he do? Keep you from experiencing God's blessing in the spiritual realm that's already been given to you. Your funds may say a hundred, but God's got unlimited. And that, I hope you set you free. My goodness, I could keep preaching on that as a whole talk. Okay, I'm running over time. Spiritual truth, God doesn't want us just to be saved. He wants you to live saved. Once you are saved, Satan will do all he can to make sure you don't live like it. The third thing I want to bring up, insight, good works. Glorification. Paul says the reason of which or salvation, helping to understand salvation, is for good works. You've got grace through faith and for good works. He says, for we are God's handiwork, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which is God prepared in advance for us to do. 
So this is glorification. This is future tense now. Spiritual truth. The good works we do express our faith. They don't earn God's grace. The works you do express your faith. They don't earn God's grace. We don't do good works so we can be saved. We do good works because we are saved. And all we do for the Lord flows from what he has done for us. When we give, we express our faith. We follow his commands. We express our faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. This is Paul's writing. He says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle, a church planner. I don't even deserve it because I've been persecuted the church of God. Because I have persecuted the church of God. So I've done this. I've been like the worst. Verse 10, but by the grace, understanding his salvation of God, I am what I am. I have at my disposal, I have because of what God did for me. And his grace to me was not without effect. Now notice, the grace and understanding of the grace changed some things in my life. It made an impact on my life when I came to understand salvation. Now, what was the effect? Watch this. I love this, especially for my kids. I wish they were all listening in. Here we go. Now, I work harder. It says no. Okay, not without effect. No, I work harder than all of them. Who? Other false teachers, by the way, other teachers. I work harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I work harder. Spiritual truth. Embracing God's grace, that's what Paul did, makes us more committed, obedient, generous, and willing to serve him. When you understand God's grace, it'll make you a hard worker for his kingdom. Paul couldn't help but be a hard worker for the kingdom of God. Why? Because he understood salvation. And when you understand salvation, it will change everything about how you live daily. A true understanding of salvation leads to all kinds of changes in your life. A true understanding of salvation. A true understanding of salvation leads to changes. Saved by grace, through faith, for good works. Justification, sanctification, glorification. All right, salvation shouldn't matter and it changes everything about you. A true understanding of salvation leads to change. Change in what? Watch this. Number one, and I just wrote a couple of things down here. I don't know if we have them on the screen or not, but if you write them to the side somewhere. A true understanding of salvation, look what it did for Paul. It changed his work ethic. I want you to think about, does salvation change the way you work? It should. Salvation changes your work ethic because everything you do, you do for who? Say it. Come on, if you know it, say it. For the Lord, everything you do, do all things as if you're doing it for the Lord. That's what the word of God says, right? Do everything as if you're doing it for the Lord. You can hold off on them, Dee. Let's hold off on them. That's okay. An understanding of salvation should result in becoming a person who is hard worker, contributor, not a lazy consumer. I'm going to say it again. An understanding of salvation should result in a person becoming a hard worker, If you think about the kingdom of God, a working contributor, not a lazy consumer. It amazes me how someone could say, I am saved by God's grace, but I never serve his bride. How could that be so? According to scripture, Paul says, I outwork everybody. Why? Because of the grace that's at work in me. When I look at the cross, how could I not work hard? Okay. 
An understanding of salvation leads to a change in whose approval you're after. The Lord is what motivates the believer. Paul says, if I did all this stuff to please you, oh, I would have given up a long time ago. I don't do this to please you. I do it for the Lord. Seek man's approval, or seek God's approval, not man's approval. That's what Paul said, right? So salvation changes whose approval you're after. After your husbands, no. After the Lord. After your spouses, no. After a parent, no. After a coach, no. After a teacher, no. After your boss, no. Whose approval are you after? Salvation teaches that you're after God's approval and no one else's. Satan wants to keep you living that way. He says, no, 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 keep after your mom's approval, keep after your dad's approval, keep after someone else's approval, keep after your spouse's approval, keep, keep, thinking about, keep after your boss's approval. And you live crippled-minded because you're seeking someone else's approval, addicted to approval from everyone else but God. Putting on the helmet of salvation reminds you whose approval you're after. Do you see the power in that? Okay? In how you give. Salvation leads to change in how you give. Not just tithing generously. I'm talking about just being a generous individual. Salvation changes that. The helmet of salvation changes the way you give. The helmet of salvation changes how you parent. It, it changes your mind. It changes the way you parent and how you see your children as individuals that God has entrusted into your care saying, lead them to me. It changes the way you think. Train your child up in the way they should go and they will not depart. Now, do you trust me? Do you, do you trust them to train them up in this way? How much time, parent, do you spend with your children with this? If you train them up in this way, I'll keep them there. Act like it. This is the salvation. This is what the helmet of salvation does. Now, Satan doesn't want you to think about that. Satan wants to tell you, turn up all the experiences. Give them all the best schooling. Give them all the best education. Give them all the best uh, vacations. What does that do for their soul? Nothing. There's a lot of people who travel the world going to hell. But, but Satan says, see, if you put the helmet of salvation on, you have the right perspective. You're seeing what's true. This is what really matters for your children more than anything. It'll change how you parent. What you let them watch, what you let them listen to. Think about all the impact that this helmet of salvation has. This is way beyond being saved because they were already saved. He says, I want you to live saved. Through faith, act as if God is telling the truth. What type of spouse you are. Ephesians chapter 5. Go home and read it to your spouses. If you're married, read Ephesians chapter 5. It should change the way you operate in your marriage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Serve one another. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. Salvation should change the way you spouse. I don't know if that's a word. Okay, here we go. Finally, in how God sees you. And, and most importantly, I'd say, in how you see you. Salvation, when you put on the helmet of salvation, it'll change the way you see you. Satan does not want you to have the helmet of salvation on. So put on the helmet of salvation right now, and I want you to start to change the way you see you. Change the way you see you. You are saved by grace. And God, who knew that you'd still sin, still went to a cross for you, and he loves you. And there's nothing you could do that could ever make you love him more. That's who you are to him. 
So change the way you see you. You are not a failure. That's a lie. You do not have the helmet of salvation on. You are not a failure. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. See? Put on the helmet of salvation. Through faith, do good works to bring glory to God. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world and he loves you. And I invite you today to change the way you see you. Think about the power of what your life would be like if you were to change the way you see you. Think about living the rest of your days as a Christ follower. What your life would look like if you actually had on the helmet of salvation. And every time that little voice attacks your mind that says, no one cares about you, you're not going to make it, you're not able, you still after their approval, whatever it may be, whatever lie from hell, evil forces of hell, who come and try to distort the way you see what's true. What does Philippians 4 say? Philippians 4, 8 says, think about things that are true, that are pure, that are lovely, that are addable, things that are worthy of praise. Think about these things. Change the way you think. Whoever gets your mind gets you. Does Christ have your mind? Is your mind set on the things of Christ and his word to be true? Paul wanted these followers in Ephesus, and he would want you, as Christ would want you, to put on the helmet of salvation. Not just to be saved, but to live saved. So are you living saved? Are you walking around in victory? Or are you saved, not tapping into your father's account? Not about just money, every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. It's already sitting there, ready for you to take a hold of. It's actually quite incredible when you think about it. There's power in putting on the helmet of salvation. So how do you put it on? You have to buy a helmet. They're on Amazon. They're $9.99. You, do you have one? I'm showing you. No. Um... You put on the helmet of salvation. How, how do you put it on? We'll wrap this up. Just close your eyes for a minute. And just remind yourself in this very moment that Christ died for you. Ephesians 2.8. Here we go. I'm saved by grace. And now I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust every word you say. I'm after your approval and nobody else's. Your word matters more than anybody else's. And I will submit to my husband and I will love my wife and I will care for her as Christ loved the church. When I go into work today, I'm going to do everything in my job as if I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm not doing this for a promotion. I'm not doing this so I get a bigger house. I'm not doing this so I get more money in my account because I already have every dollar in my account that I'll ever need. Do you hear it? That's putting on the helmet of salvation. It goes way beyond being saved. These are Christians who are already saved. God, you have already blessed me with everything I ever need. Oh, that purpose and that dream. Today, 
God, I am after whatever you want me to accomplish and I will do whatever you call me to do and you will supply my every need. I do not doubt you. You will equip everything you've called me to do and I trust you and I will live through faith today and the soul begins to rise. Do you see the transformation happening in the morning as you wake up each day putting on the helmet of salvation in the moments that you need it? I'll be reminded of what my father says about me. What my Father has called me to do, He will equip me and resource me with. He will finish what He started. He's a good God. You see, when you say these kinds of things, when you put these things and you think about these things, all of a sudden the helmet of salvation gets placed on your mind. Father, give me the patience I need today. Give me the strength I need today. Lord, I'm relying on you. Think about all the ways that you put on the helmet of salvation. It's not a call to be saved. It's a call to live like it. And if today, maybe you're not saved, and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what do I do? You just tell him, Father, come into my life. Lord, I want to give you my life today. I surrender my life today. You tell him things like these from your own heart. Lord, I want to give you my life today. I put my trust and my hope in you today, Jesus. I want to give my life over today. I want to come back home to your house. I want, I want to trust you again. When you give him your life, you just tell him you surrender that to him. And then in a minute, at the end of our service, we'll have some staff and people down front. And you come and tell someone, give my life to Jesus. And then we walk you through it. We'll give you a Bible. We'll give everything you need. You can indicate it on your communication card. You turn that in. We want to walk through that journey with you. If today, though, you just need to live like you're saved, can you just lift your hand? You just need to live like it. You know you are saved, but you realize you haven't been living like it. Would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. All right. Father, I pray for those hands that are lifted all over this room. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would overcome their life and you would fill them, fill them, fill them with your spirit. Oh, God, that you would fill them, that they would live in such victory that they would claim and take hold of every good thing you've deposited in their account. They would seek to please you above people. People pleasing, go. God pleasing, yes. Jesus, affirm them, love them. May they come to know that love that you have for them. Strengthen them, give them words of knowledge when they read your word, give them understanding to it. Help them to trust and walk in you, Jesus. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.